there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to Season 2 of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Today's guest on the podcast is Lisa Candera. She is the single mother to a teenage son with autism. She is also a lawyer, parent advocate, and a certified life coach for moms raising kids with autism. I will link up uh, Lisa's coaching services and how you can get in contact with her for a free consultation. Um, Her website is theautismmomcoach.com. And Lisa also has accounts on Facebook and Instagram, um, The Autism Mom Coach as well. So please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Candera. So welcome back to Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Lisa Candera. We actually met through um, a, kind of the blog squad on Coop's Troop and various other ways, but um, Lisa is a phenomenal mom and I cannot wait to get into all of the discussion about our kids and everything else. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. So your entry into the autism bubble was quite a few years ago, like mine. <laughs> Your yeah. son, Ben, is 13. So, um, you know, I'm not asking you if, if you don't want to, to go back way back, but when did autism become part of your daily conversation and your life uh, with Ben? Sure. Yeah. So I think um, a lot a lot of stories you've we've heard um, around the 18 month mark would say Ben's behaviors started to, there was a real uptick in tantrums and the length of tantrums. And um, he wasn't speaking, which I didn't really see as a problem, but he was banging his head against the wall, things like that, right? So um, there was definitely um, you know, concern there. So at his two year appointment, I said to the pediatrician, you know, he's not talking. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of tantrums. And she was like, okay, he's two, he's a boy, you know, all the stuff you've heard before kind of put me off, but she did give me a referral for a speech therapist. And so that's really when it started the speech therapist. And I really did at that point thought it was, it was going to be some sort of a speech delay, a speech issue. Um, first child, only child, didn't really have a gauge on like what was typical versus not typical when it came specifically to tantrums, you know, terrible twos, he was teething. You know, there's all these different reasons you can think of where it could be, you know, anything. He wasn't sleeping much. So anyhow, um, at that point there, you know, we were told that there were red flags for autism and then, you know, off to the races with um, trying to get appointments with developmental pediatricians and things like that. So he was diagnosed officially, um, you know, three months, I would say after his second birthday. Okay. Was it the pediatrician that diagnosed him or did you have to go to a special autism center and get the official word? Yeah. Yeah. So your first, I mean, I don't know that pediatricians actually do it. I mean, I think they could probably screen very generally, but we, 
Um, I, so I, at the time I was living in, um, outside of Philadelphia and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia had an autism center. So there were several hospitals in the area. We put applications in for all and we went to the first place that we got um, an appointment. And so, um, and, and I was, I understood that I didn't need the autism diagnosis in order to avail myself of services through um, early intervention, but I, you know, I was really clear that I wanted a, if there, the diagnosis, if it was in fact autism, I wanted an official diagnosis because my view of the diagnosis was that I could leverage it to get resources that my son needed. Um, so, so it was important to me to get it, but I know that not everyone gets it. And I, you know, that's, but that's not, you know, the only way to get services, but it definitely, um, you know, people pay a little bit more attention, you know, at the IEP meeting when you have, you know, you know, neuro, you know, neuropsychologist or doctors and other people at the table who can say, you know, this is the services that this child needs, and then really putting the onus on them as to why they wouldn't provide the services. Yeah, I mean, and we are five years ahead of you guys, but I mean, especially back when Skylar was diagnosed, it, uh, I mean, it took that diagnosis and then some to get services because the PDD NOS or even developmental delay wasn't going to move us past the state run services from age zero to three. So, you know, I imagine I, I would have thought that things would have gotten a little bit better, you know, five years out, but it sounds like it's still a struggle with insurance to cover things. I think too, back when Skylar was diagnosed, it was important to have the diagnosis, but then Anytime any of the therapists coded anything with autism, there was like an actual diagnosis code for autism. It got kicked back and they were like, well, we don't cover that. ABA was a huge one. They never covered that. Everything was experimental. So I think the therapists <laughs> all figured out, you know, ways around it and like how to code things as, you know, vision or like physical therapy or whatever. But um, it's crazy right. the hoops you have to jump through to oh yeah the diagnosis had... and then you don't want to tell anybody the diagnosis because it ruins it so it's crazy yeah it was wild I had I had a binder at the time of all, you know everything I was submitting because I got frustrated with the early intervention services and so we went privately for um, some time before my son turned three and he would be picked up by the school system and you know the only apportion of that would be um, covered and had to be coded in a certain way. And I, and I just, there was just this whole process where they're gonna reject it the first time and then you write the letter. I had this whole, you know, sort of like this system like laid out and you, you got a certain percentage back and, you know, yeah. and that, that was just how it was. We become professional letter writers and, <laughs> and <laughs> right. code interpreter, interpretation and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, um, so, you you are an attorney do you still practice law or you do wow you have a lot going on <laughs> yeah I work, I work full time as an attorney um i am in-house at an insurance company actually um and um so and i what i am the compliance officer for the there's a registered investment advisor that's part of the insurance company so i am the compliance officer for that business unit um, before that, I, um, was, I worked at the Securities and Exchange Commission, and then before that, in, in private practice. So, um, so I've been practicing law the whole time, and um, the coaching I do, it's like, you know, it's, it's not something that I do full-time for sure. It's really something that I've developed over the last year with um, everything that's going on, has gone on in my life, um, but I, 
but uh, my my job is fantastic in that I mean I like my job I like the people but it's also the piece of my life that has nothing to do with autism yeah except for the parent group that I run at the at my job for parents of kids with um, special or different abilities so I'm still able to bring um, you know what I've learned, my experiences in um, bringing other parents together and giving them a forum to share resources and just to be supported. But I have to say, especially in the last year with um, everything that's gone on, it's nice to have a piece of your life that is completely divorced from anything that has to do with the daily, some of your daily struggles. Yeah. And I think a lot of moms or parents are afraid to say that out loud because I just wrote a blog on that last week. And um, it was just about, you know, my, my working full-time out of the home also. And that's the one piece of me that has nothing to do with autism, like you said. And sometimes I feel guilty that I look forward to going to work <laughs> and like having that piece of myself. Um, but I don't want to just be known as Skylar's autism mom or an autism podcaster or an autism writer or whatever. Like that is not all that I am. You know, I have multiple degrees and I had things before I even had kids that I was mm -hmm. passionate about. And I just don't want to lose myself into just an autism world because it's a lonely place anyway. And then if you remove any of your passions or outside world um, experiences from it, you're going to just, it'll be a sad place. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know that I, when my, my son was first diagnosed and I was, um, and shortly thereafter going through a divorce and then a, um, a custody, you know, arrangement, the split time, I, I had so much guilt about that, that I almost felt like it was my duty to dedicate all the time that I wasn't with my son to my son. So if it was, researching something, if it was going to a conference to learn about, I, mean, I was going to conferences to learn about transitional services when he was two. It's like, I almost like felt like it, I wasn't doing enough. I couldn't do enough and I had to do more. And that, I mean, I, I understand now why I did that. And, and I know the sort of the fear that was driving that, but it's like that thought that like, I need to do all of these things and I need to dedicate myself. I can't have anything for me because that's going to help him. It's just the opposite. It's a hundred percent the opposite. And you know, you, you, that's one of the things I've, you know, I've definitely learned over the, you know, sort of the, the length of this and, you know, you, you hear all kinds of things like it's a, marathon it's not a sprint and it's like it's not a marathon because marathons start at a certain time they stop at a certain time and there is a map there's break stations and there's people cheering you on this isn't a marathon <laughs> like this you know it's it's, it's it's um it's like i don't know it's like hell week they just like you know, drop you in you're there you got to figure it out and that's what we're doing and so um, keeping pieces that are for you and that nourish you, um, it's critical to your ability to care for your child. It doesn't detract from it. Yeah. Well, you touched on a couple of things. Um, I'd like to go back. So obviously, you know, you're very candid about being a single mom. Um, what, how old was Ben, if you don't mind my asking, when um, you went through your divorce? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. Skylar was five. Um, was that... Um, just trying to figure out, I think one of the things I went through, I guess I'll, I'll say to ask the question is what you mentioned about the time, splitting a time 
um, between the two homes. I just, because Skylar's nonverbal, I always worried that he didn't understand or that it was more anxiety inducing for him to have two bedrooms and two beds. I mean, it's hard enough for them to get used to one environment, one bathroom, one everything. And then in the next week shift and have to readjust to those things. I felt like it always took him two or three days of my week to kind of get acclimated again. And he was angry with me, I think. And then we just got things going smoothly. And then it was time to transition over to his other home. So how did yeah. that go for you guys? And I'm sure there are single parents listening that might, or soon to be single parents, maybe that are wrestling with this decision. Like everything that you just said, the same. And Ben was nonverbal at the time too. Um, he was nonverbal for you know some time during, you know, for, for a while during, you know, this transition. And even when he became verbal, he was verbal to us, you know, in terms of like, we understood him, but he was barely understandable. And so there was a lot of, I mean, the transition, I and I hear this from parents with and without kids um, on the spectrum, transitions were hard, they were harder for him, you know, they're harder for our kids. We um, experienced the same thing where, um, there would, yeah, and you know, I, um, I this is a little bit older, but he was having a hard time with the transition, like, like eight or nine, and I had all this guilt. I'm like, is it because you miss your dad? Do you think things would be better? I mean, is it, you know, do you wish that we were living together? And I was being ridiculous, and he's like, he has the Millennium Falcon at his house, and you don't, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> there was stuff was there and then I had stuff in my house that was yeah. like, yeah, it was a lot and um you know I'm like there's like some deep-seated reason he's you know in pain and he's like I really want my Lego set I'm like okay like you know and um but yeah that was a huge um that was always like it was always a couple of days the transition was really really def definitely difficult and it's not something that I could identify with either because my parents, they didn't divorce, right? So I've only had one house that I lived in, you know, my entire life until I went to college. And so um, that was something that it, it definitely, I mean, as he got older, it got a little bit easier. And he also, it's interesting because he only really experiences his dad and I as you know, separate entities. And so when he's with each of us, he has a hundred percent of our attention. And so there have been times like where, you know, his dad would come, you know, we, we would sort of intersect and we would be talking and he'd be like, wait a second, you go, <laughs> you stay like, this is, this is for me, you know? So he's like, it's a great, he's really clear on his boundaries about how he wants to spend time with us. So, well, how did you process um, those feelings? So we talked about our kids and kind of how we think they were processing things, but um Again, for myself, I feel like, because um, I have a daughter too that's 16, um, she was three at the time of the divorce. And um, I was miserable. Talk about living your life just for your kids. Uh, with the week that they, because we did week to week, the week that they were at their dad's house, I was I, thinking here on the one hand, I've got all this free time. I can finally do things with my friends. I don't have to get respite or get help or whatever. <laughs> but I just sat here and I cried for like so many months because I missed my little people, you know, they were my entire life. So did you have, you know, some transitional issues and how did you work through some of your feelings when Ben was gone? I, I don't know that I did. Frankly, I don't think that I really ever processed it 
that well. I think um, a couple of things that when he wasn't with me, that's the time I would make up for work that I might not have done or done as much of um, when he wasn't there. And so I really use the time to do the things, you know, some of the things like that. And, you know, I was, I was pretty miserable too. I mean, and I definitely took it out on relationships that I was in at the time. I just, I, I really just, I think I was completely sort of um, untethered to like what I, like my purpose and what I was supposed to be doing and what, you know, and I just, um, I don't think that I really did process it well. And then, you know, um, at some point I had been full time. And so then once I had him full time, I actually felt this tremendous relief. And then I actually started to do more stuff for myself because it's like, I didn't have that, like, almost like that idea that like, you shouldn't be doing things because you, you shouldn't be doing things for yourself when he's with you because that's his time. It's not your time. Um, and so, um, but then when I had him full time, I was like, oh, like I hire babysitters all the time. (laughs) like like I just want to take a walk like you know quite literally sometimes I just want to take a walk and I want to know that someone's just here and I do that and I don't think twice about it yeah I think for me it's a controlled thing I think I understand the exact same thing and um my current husband or my husband um adopted Skylar in 2018 and we've had him full-time for years before that but now he's officially like my husband's child but um but you're right. I think for me, my ex-husband didn't do things the way that I think they should be done. And so I'm a control freak, admittedly. So I'm thinking the whole time that Skylar is away, I'm like, I know he's not doing his medicine right. I know he's not eating the things that he needs to eat that are gluten-free or he's probably getting gluten or like, and I was just so paranoid about them not being in my vision. So now that he's here, I feel calmer like you said to be able to do things that I want to do because I know we got this you know <laughs> like I know he's being taken care of exactly how he should be so it's, it's so weird funny that, first of all <laughs> I have to say I listened to your book probably the weekend that it came out and I enjoyed it so much and oh, there was thanks. so much of it that I was like oh my god yes 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 <laughs> and especially the stuff around your relationship with your ex-husband although Honestly, I, um, I gasped at one point in your book. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people did. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, so much of that resonated with me. And, you know, one of the things that, a couple things that we, you've probably heard this and I've definitely gotten is like, you know, when people find out you're a single mom, like, oh, that must be so hard. I'm like, not really. Honestly, I mean, I ought to tell you, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people I think that this would resonate with. You can be single and still partnered. Um, And a lot of us are, you know, a lot, you know, when it comes sometimes to the diagnosis and doing the labor of the, you know, whatever that, that is like, you can be single and still be married or partnered. And, and, but then once I was not married anymore, it honestly was so much easier for me to be the mom I wanted to be. Um, and it's made a lot of things quite honestly, very easy, not very easy, easier. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Um, you know, it's just, I think our kids are more well-adjusted at least Skylar. I feel like is because again, he finally has one home. He has Mm -hmm. 
everything is the same. He knows the routine. He knows exactly where he's going to sit at dinner. And there's just none of that. And I, I have seen him thrive since we started full-time with him five or six years ago, um, before the adoption, I, I could start to see a huge change in him mm-hmm. with not having to go back and forth. Um, yeah. so I, I just know, I just use him as the gauge really to all the decisions that we make. And I just pray that we see in him that it was a good choice that we made. Cause that's really the only way we know since he can't tell us like, yeah. you really screwed this up. Um, <laughs> I wish he could sometimes, I wish he could just say me. Uh, you say that now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, so you mentioned um, early on that you started um, the autism mom coach, the coaching business, I guess you could call it. Um, yep. And that was about a year ago. So what was kind of, what's the idea behind that? And, um, you know, what type of coaching do you provide and, and who, who is your ideal audience for that? Yep. So um, I, I started um, getting coaching myself um, a little over a year ago. And I got into the point where there was just, um, I had a lot of you know, anxiety around you know, Ben's development and how he was doing on any given day. And I just didn't, I, you know, we just moved to Connecticut. I, I had a therapist before, but I just, I didn't really see a role for therapy at that point. Cause it wasn't like, I thought like I had processed what was going on. I knew what the issues were, but I was just having so much trouble in the day to day. And that's how I found um, coaching myself as a client. And I really, it it just, it clicked for me and I started to like um, implement it in my own life. And then as it applied to Ben and it just, um, it just helped me so much. And that's how I got certified and now offer that to um, other moms. And so then, so like really the North star of this coaching is um, helping other moms like me, moms who are raising children with autism, kick the shit out of option B. And so I don't know if you're familiar with Cheryl Sandberg, but her husband died um, a few years ago. Um, and um, her book is called Option B. And there's the story about how, you know, she was missing her husband and saying, I wish he was here. And um, her friend said, option A is not available. So let's kick the shit out of option B. <laughs> and that's how I sort of see this. It's not like, you know, that I wouldn't, it's like none of us expected this, right? And so this is what, this is what we're dealing with. And so like how to really live our lives in a way where we're not just settling and we're not just, you know, just muddling through, um, that we're really just, you know, sort of like, um, you know, living our best life um, with the set of circumstances that we were given. And, um, you know, part of that um, comes, you know, I, I think I've learned so much in the last year about what acceptance really is because I thought I was there. I mean, I wanted this diagnosis. I pursued this diagnosis. Like I, it's like, I accept that he's autistic. I, of course I accept that. I just, I never tried to say he wasn't. I never tried to figure out even why it happened. It's like, this is what it is. That's not what acceptance is. Like real radical acceptance is like the ability to like let whatever is coming in on any given day and letting it be there, not settling for it and saying this is this is just how it is. Oh well, but just you know being able to accept it and then what? It's like once we stop resisting it, we sort of open ourselves up to so much more um, possibility, and. That's been a huge thing that I've taken you know, from the last year and what I teach my moms. And also part of radical acceptance and acceptance is understanding 
um, you know, start separating what's really going on from like all of your thoughts and fears about it. Like, you know, we, um, we get the autism diagnosis and like our minds go wild. We get in the time machine of like, you know, what's this child's life gonna look like? What's my life gonna look like? And we stir ourselves up into such a sort of like a panic. And then we start going out and trying to find like all the ways and all the things to fix it or to, or, you know, all the therapies all in it. And we're fueling ourselves with such anxiety and fear that we burn out. And so you know, the centerpiece of my program is how do we go from being burnt out to building, you know, our own emotional, um, our own resilience so that we can keep going and not just keep going, but thrive. That's incredible. Gosh, there were so many things that you said that I just, you know, wished I had heard years and years ago, because that is something I think a lot of us are guilty of. The minute we get the diagnosis, it's our instant reaction to fix it. You know, whatever therapies, whatever resources we can find. And, um, you know, there is no curing autism. And I, I hate that people still even think that that's a possibility. And I've really tried over the years with my acceptance. I've had to work really hard at it because like you, I thought I was accepting and he is who he is. And I say it all the time, but it didn't really mean what it, what I was saying until years ago that I'm like, he really, I really am okay with who he is. And I strongly believe that there is a purpose behind all of it. I mean, you know, maybe that's like a, a really flippant way to look at things, but I just, I know that he was given this diagnosis for a reason for all of us to learn from him, for me to learn something about myself through him to meet him where he is, maybe to teach me patience. I don't know what it is. And I may never know that. And I've had to let go of that to just accept that it is what it is. And I don't have to figure out why, because I may never know why. Then I just have to meet him where he is, I guess. Yeah. And you get to decide what the purpose is. I mean, there is no capital P purpose. You know, the universe is going to give you a letter and tell you what it is. You get to decide that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like one of the, you know, sort of the things that I've really, it's just so interesting. Like what we really learned from this diagnosis, we're learning about ourselves because I've seen so much, especially in this last year of how I mirror my son, you know, he perseverates. Well, I do too. I perseverate over his perseverations sometimes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so Quite, you know, I, you know, and I listen to the things that I tell him, and then I question: Am I doing that? Am I living that the way that he? I'm, I'm expecting him. I'm asking him to be flexible. Am I being flexible? Probably, you know, not all the time. Um, there's this wonderful poem, and I'll give it to you. So, if you wanted to link it in the show notes, um, it's from the book by Dr. Shafali, I think it. Is very, I'm sorry, I'm butchering her name, but I will get you. It's from The Conscious Parent, I think, or The Awakened Family. One of them, just two books. They're both great. But it's the poem that says, you know, something like, May God bless you with a child who is, um, you know, we'll say, you know, rigid so you can learn to be flexible. It's basically, you know, the opposite. Yeah, it's so what you're learning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because like my son is so everything needs to be a certain way, you know, that he was very rigid, very black and white. That has forced me, not forced me, it's provided me with the opportunity to let a lot of shit go 
um, just to let things go. And it's been such a skill that I've developed from him, you know, from learning how to, you know, adapt to him. And so there's like, there's so much that you're learning about yourself in this process. It's as much about you as it is about your child, which is why I always go back to, I mean, there's been years where people will say to me things like, you need to take care of yourself. And I'm just I'm like, you know, I just, in my head, I'm saying, shut the fuck up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's for other people kind of a thing or whatever. You know, I'm really, I was really dismissive. But I mean, now I'm just like, I'm, it's like a hundred percent. Like you cannot care. Like we are our child's greatest resource. There's no medicine. There's no doctor. There's no therapy that is what we are and what we will be to these ch children. And if we are depleted, what help are we to them or to ourselves? And so even if you look at self-care or I say sanity management as selfish, be selfish because your selfishness will help your child. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, we've talked a little bit about Ben. Um, you know, he's clearly going through puberty still or is, is oh, through it. Can you tell? He <laughs> is, he is right <laughs> in it. I mean, he has, uh, his, He's exploded in the last year. I mean, just, you know, if what's going on the inside is reflected on the outside, it's a, it's a hot mess. I mean, he's just like, he's like become, he's like grown like several inches. He's just like his chest is broadened. His voice is completely changed. Yeah. Oh man. So is he um, completely verbal? Does he have <laughs> any, what are, I mean, and this is a stupid way to ask this question, but I can't think of any other way right now, but like, <laughs> how does he present um, to the outside world that he has autism? Does he have some <clears throat> social anxiety? Does he have some sensory, you know, needs? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. um, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, he doesn't present to the outside world as anything, right? He's in- That's the, harder sometimes. I really do. Yeah. I mean, and he, so when Ben was diagnosed, I, the, the, um, I said to the doctor, I said, how can you tell? I, I, I wasn't, I was just questioning how from like one thing that she, she had these exercises that she had him do. I'm like, I'm just curious in those exercises where you were asking him to draw a picture or whatever. What was that about? And she's like, you know, I was trying to see how he responded to my encouragement or to pleasing me. And he didn't at all. It's like, he doesn't feel the need to please other people. And I was like, shit, I want that. Like, I know, I wish I had that. <laughs> right? And that has completely flipped over time. Like he is 100% wanting, like he's a people pleaser. He, um, you know, he really likes to be part of the crowd, the encouragement that he gets from, you know, his peers. Like he, all of that like means so much to him. And so, um, Although he doesn't present from the outside because he's very verbal, he's very involved. He has a lot of his own social anxiety. And he, as he's gotten older, you know, he sees the differences between him and the other kids. And he'll say things to me, mom, when we're at the lunch table, other kids just know how to start talking and they know what to say and when to say it. And I have things that I want to say, but I'm not sure how to say it. And when I do talk, I don't think other people hear me. And um, you know, when he does talk, it takes him a while to get to the point and kids are so quick. It's not yeah. even that they're being rude. They're just, they've moved on. And he really, he's like struggled with that a lot. So um, yeah. So will, he, so will he be in high school next year or is, was he a fresh, is he eighth grade? 
So yeah, he'll be in eighth grade. He has, um, up until this year, he was in his um, the mainstream public school with a one-on-one. Um, this year with everything that's gone on, we he's been outplaced a couple of times to um, you know, smaller, more specialized schools while he, um, while that we really just tried to get a handle on all of the changes that he's gone through and like really trying to figure out the environment that is best suited to his needs. Well, I mean, does, does he enjoy the mainstream part or does that become overwhelming for him? Both. So it's definitely overwhelming in terms of, you know, his whole thing is, you know, the expectations and the speed of things and, um, you know, those sorts of things overwhelm him. The social part he misses, like he really, like he has his sixth grade yearbook and he looks at it every single day. He has it memorized, like everyone's interest. I mean, he really was thriving before COVID hit. He was just really, we we moved here a couple of years ago and he had gotten into this place where he was just really bonding with like these new friends and just enjoying it so much. And he was so um, excited really for seventh grade and really he was excited for the end of sixth grade and all the parties they were going to have like he was and then all of that um obviously didn't happen um coupled with then the demands of virtual schoolwork and so he melted down really when it came to the virtual schoolwork it 100 it made no sense to him that he was at home but in school at the same time and all of the um, support that he had had in the classroom was gone and his confidence went um, it really, it, it, it went away or essentially he just, he was so not confident and he was, his anxiety was picking up. And as the anxiety was picking up, um, you know, some other behaviors started to present that, you know, were later diagnosed as um, OCD. And so by the time we got to the beginning of the school year, he was just really, um, mentally not in a place, he wasn't available really at that point. And so that's when um, some more um, aggressive interventions, um, you know, that's when we pursued, um, well, we didn't pursue, hospitalization pursued us. I mean, he, he, um, we, we ended up in the ER a couple of times and <clears throat> when hospitalization was presented to me, I was like, really? Because we had been living <clears throat> this way for six months, like, I mean, in a really an intense way. And I had been telling the teachers, telling the doctors, telling everyone, they're like, well, it's COVID. Well, it's this, well, it's that. Well, it got to the point where they were like, um, you know, we think that he could really benefit from, from hospitalization. And it really blew my mind. And, but at the same time I had done, we had done so many other things and this child was suffering. And so um, we happened to live 30 minutes from a hospital that has an autism inpatient um, unit. So it was going to be just 10 beds, very highly specialized um, facility with people who did this day in and day out. And so, um, so, you know, so we did, so that's a, a resource that we've, um, that we've availed ourselves of. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that. Um, so mm-hmm. when you say kind of the aggressions, um, picked up, what types of things was he exhibiting that he wasn't before? And I, and I asked that just be, so that other parents can understand kind of the dilemma you were in, which led you to the inpatient hospitalization stuff. Um, because I had, I had told you before, I had never heard of that. I don't even know, I, I doubt that we have that kind of um, 
access to a, a facility like that or to a hospital that has a wing like that. But, um, you know, Skylar is very aggressive at times and I just see him as a little boy still. I mean, cause he's small in stature, but he is 18 and his aggressions are getting stronger as he, you know, has already gone through puberty and he's definitely not a weakling anymore. Um, and you know, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think most parents probably, and you probably can relate to this as well. You hear hospitalizations and you hear that extreme measure that has to be an option. And I don't even want to think about it. Like, I don't even want to consider it. So I guess I, mean, I just want to backtrack I about could, behaviors and where you yeah, got there. I could never have imagined this. I mean, you know, I, it, it, it wrecked me, you know, the first time that it was even a consideration. Um, but at the same time, you can just thinking about <clears throat> what he was going through in terms of the hormone changes and everything that was going on in, inside of his brain. Like he just, he went from a kid who would definitely have anger outbursts, yelling and screaming, you get angry. He might like, you know, I don't know, punch something or, you know, like punch the cow or whatever, things like that to like destroying things, you know, so property destruction, um, punching himself, a lot of self-injurious behavior. And then, I mean, what was also happening at the same time is that he, he relied on me so much for self-soothing that he wanted me to fix it and I couldn't fix it. And so I think that, um, you know, that he, he was um, definitely aggressive towards me because I think he, he just saw that as like, this is how I'm going to get my way. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, just, just primal sort of animal instinct. Like this is painful. I don't want to do it. And this is how I'm going to get my way. And so, um, that was going on. Um, I, I have to tell you, it was actually, he, that, that happened more post-hospitalization. There was two hospitalizations that happened more post-hospitalization because a couple of things, I think the medication that he was on post-hospitalization, I think it was definitely the wrong fit. Yeah. I think that it was so, it was almost like dealing with someone who just didn't have a hold of all their faculties. Like he wasn't really sort of there in some sort of ways and he was frustrated and he was angry. And so, um, there were days that I worked from the car when yeah. he was home and I, and I live in an apartment complex. Right. And so it's like, I, I wanted to minimize the amount of noise in the home, but he also just knew like, if I do this, then this will happen. And so it's like, you know, just trying to sort of like, um, you know, walk, a, walk that tightrope. And so, um, yeah, so the, the aggression towards himself, towards me, and just sort of the unpredictability, um, that is what those, and, and just is 100% inability to regulate himself in any kind of way. And there was a lot of aggression at school. Um, and this was in a specialized school, so they dealt with it differently because he was like, <laughs> why are they kicking me out? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's sort of learned if you do this certain number of things and this will happen. And so this was being challenged both at home and in school and he wasn't liking it. And so it was just so hard to see because it's like, I, I was trying to explain to people, I'm like, you don't, this isn't my child. This isn't who he is. This is not like, and they're like, this is all they've seen of him. And like, they were being kind and things like that. But at the same time, it's like, this is what's presented. And 
really also trying to deal with my own fight flight reaction. I mean, there is something very animal that happens in all of us when we feel threatened, especially physically threatened. Um, And so I really, I mean, my work during those months was to learn how to really emotionally regulate myself and to reset myself because of the high intensity. And it was every day, if he was awake, it was happening emotional it's hard to not look at your child that you love so much when they're raging and I always kind of describe Skylar's behavior in those moments where the med is just the not the right med or whatever it is he's manic like he's one moment he's fine and then the next he is clapping furiously over his head and like and he's like yelling the the only sounds that he makes and we're like Mm -hmm. I'm almost afraid of him and I look at him and I'm like this is my baby who I have done everything for and I and I the look in his eyes like you said it's not him he's not there and I know he can't control his body and he doesn't want to pull my hair and hurt me but I just look at him and I'm like I don't like you like I I mean I I said it to myself like I don't like this kid at all because he's so mean but then I feel like such a jerk when I say that to myself um you know and I and I think ask myself do you hate me like do you really hate me because you treat oh. me like, you know, you yeah. could give a care if I died. Like you just look at me like, I, oh I'm not, God. I'm no good to you because <laughs> I'm not doing what you want. And that just, it's, it angers me. So did you, yeah. did so, someone uh, suggest the hospitalizations to you as a way to deal with that? I mean, how did you come upon that option? Yeah. Well, I, I just, I wanted to say about, I mean, I, yeah, you take it personally. And there were so many times where I felt like he, he was doing this to me. Yeah. You know, especially things like the property destruction. And I was just, I, I, I took it so personally and I felt so like, I do, I, I, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And I, yeah, I just, and what that, that's the piece where, so there's just, and this is sort of for the coaching comes, I was, comes in for me there's the circumstance of what happens and then there's everything that we make it mean and that's the piece where it's so painful um it's like we're it's already painful and then we're like let's double down yeah let's change <laughs> our pain. response right, yeah exactly and so that piece to me I was like I really was like just trying to extract like what's happening and then everything else about it. And, and I'm trying to think, like, I have this friend, she's amazing, and she basically coached me during the, for several months, she's a BCBA, and she's, um, she's and, and so I would call her, and she would just like, oh my God, he's fascinating. She's like, I wish I could be there. And I was what perspective? Like, yeah, yeah, and she's like, this is amazing, because I would tell her different things, wow, oh my gosh, I would just love to talk, and I was like, you know, and there's part of me, well, yeah. And she's like, look, I know this is easy for me to say. I'm not there. This is not my kid. And I was like, yeah, but um, that is a perspective. And that yeah. was helpful. And I was, so sometimes I just tried to be like, I wonder what's going on in his brain right now. Like I would try to bring that to it. But also the thing is like, she wasn't bringing all the garbage with her to what she was saying. And so, yeah, I could be resentful and be like, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, and she doesn't know, but she's also not having all those thoughts of it. It means anything about my parenting, like none of it, right? Like that's an option for me too. And it, 
it's not, listen, I didn't do it all the time, but just sometimes, just every once in a while I did. And like that in and of itself, like just sort of like growing that muscle, just being like, there's another way of looking at this. Yeah. And separating your emotions from yes, it, that it yes. is your child. It, it is easier for them because they don't have the emotional tie. Like I gave birth to you, you little turd, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. And it's like, it, it is, oh my God, that, that part is like such a roller coaster. It is sure. because then, you know, I have those feelings and then he calms down eventually and I'm still a little worked up, but then later I calm down. And then of course more emotions piled on it. Cause then I'm like, I am such a horrible parent. Like, yeah. why would you ever think that you don't like your kid? You know, like, why would I even think because that in my it's mind? It's okay not to like behaviors. <laughs> it's okay. You know, and it I has nothing to do with autism. I'm sure there are parents right. of teenagers that are like, I don't like you. You're a punk. You know, like you're being really awful. So. Exactly. And we think that because they have a diagnosis that like, we're not allowed to get upset and have to treat them with white gloves. I think we think, you know, because we, they're special and we have to extra help, give them extra help and love them even more. And that's not entire. I mean, they manipulate, they're very smart and they definitely know how to get their way. I mean, I, I kind of think that Skylar's tantrums are just the typical, you know, two-year-old tantrums yes. that he's just not grown out of. He knows just his face when he looks at us, like if he wants to go to bed at night at five 30 and we're like, no, because then you're going to be up at 5. AM. No, not happening. So he'll, hit the TV first. And we're like, don't hit the TV. And then he, that doesn't get at the response he wants. So then he moves to like something else. And he, then he pulls my hair, then he hits <laughs> us. So, you know, it's like, he has his rotation. It's the same stuff every night. Cause he hopes that we say, that's it. I've had it. Let's go to your room. That's what he wants. Oh, so I'm God. like trying to focus on like, you're not winning. You're not going to win. And then I'm like, Lori, seriously, <laughs> like you're literally <laughs> being a child with your 18 year old, like trying to win, just put him well, to bed. Who cares? You know, it's like, pick your battles. Well, it's, I also, so, excuse me. So Ben is very verbal, very verbal. He does not stop talking for the most part. And I, um, but he can't, he can't lie. He doesn't lie. And so he will literally say, yeah, I did that because of this. Or, you know, if I, mom, if I like bug you enough, like, will you just do it? Or like, it, he'll just, he will literally just verbalize <laughs> what he's doing and why he's doing it, which is hysterical and frustrating at the same time. Yeah. Just, you know, and he'll be like, I just figured if I did this, that you would do that. Like, and he'll just come out and say it. And so, so yeah, that's, he's, they're very smart. Of course, they're very smart. And they also have learned how to, or, you know, in some cases, manipulate the environment to their needs. And we are the environment. So. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you have a child that's severe um, and you do everything for them. So it becomes an expectation now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I pick the wrong food, they'll swipe it off the table. Like <laughs> I'm almost like I'm in a abusive relationship. Like, I feel like I am in a domestic abuse relationship yeah, right, right, yeah. with an 18 year old. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So bossy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh and gosh. it's funny. I call him a pest. I'm like, stop being a pest or whatever. And certain words make him laugh and he just laughs and laughs. I'm like, yeah, it's real funny. You, you, know, know? you know, I mean, exactly. we kind of make fun of it and have a good time, but not all the time. <laughs> Some days yeah. I'm just not in the mood for it. <laughs> so yeah, not today. Oh. Totally. I totally. So how often, um, 
does Ben go to, how long is he in the hospital and how long does, how often does he go and how does that work? Sure. So the first time, so he's been in twice and it's been 30 days each time. Um, and so the way, it, so basically we were, you know, we were in the ER and he was, um, you know, he was, you know, saying things about wanting to hurt himself and things like that. So that was the, really the impetus. And um, his therapist who specializes in autism, you know, he thought, you know, he, he's the first person who raised it to me. And, you know, it was like quite simply, like, if he can't be safe in the home, then he can't be in the home. And there were discussions um, about that. And I, um, you know, I was resistant to that. But at the same time, we had gotten to the point where I just didn't really know how we're going to manage. And thank goodness I am working from home because of COVID because again, like just not really sure how to manage all of this um, if that weren't the case. And so it, it was brought up and I didn't want him going to just sort of like a general inpatient hospitalization because, you know, first of all, he's, he would be grouped by age and he's 13, but he's not, you know, he's, you know, he's, his maturity level or is younger and, you know, then to be grouped in with kids that have, you know, um, like maybe more severe sort of like um, depression or suicidal ideation and things like that. Like I just, that was not something that I was really um, considering. But when I learned that there was a, <clears throat> a specialized hospital that dealt with autism, then I was like, okay, well that I'll consider. And so, <clears throat> so that's how, that's how it happened the first time we got into um, to that to, to the autism center, and then he came home, and we continued on with a psychiatrist who was associated with the center. So he got to see him over a longer view, and you know, I I put together an entire chronology of Ben and medications and behaviors, and I know I was like these these medications aren't working, and they could see that and they were trying to dial some of them back while introducing others in an outpatient setting. And then the behavior uptick was just so much that the doctors were like, okay, we can't, we need to do this inpatient. And so then he was inpatient again for another 30 days and the cocktail really seemed to just be benefiting him so much. <clears throat> so he, when he, um, when he was um, discharged from that second 30 days, the um, autism center had actually attached now a partial hospitalization step-down program that they do. So he was there for six weeks, it was fantastic. Just like that ongoing support med management. And so as of like a couple of days ago, he was out for about two or three weeks. Things were okay, things were good. And this past weekend, we had just another severe uptick in the OCD the ritualistic, the obsession. I mean, he just like, again, you're just looking at someone who does, he would say to me, mom, please help me. I can't stop. It's painful. He was crying. You know, there wasn't the aggression, but there was just the, and, and so I thank God I got, you know, I have this connection now to this hospital and they, he's back in PHP now. They're like, bring him back in. Like, you know, and so, I am I'm grateful to have this resource that we can avail ourselves of just to have this people who are really in tune with him. They know him personally now, just you know, they've spent so much time with him. They've seen him at his low, 
lowest and they've seen him who he is really is and I um you know I got it's um this weekend was hard because we both almost had our own trauma response to it and like because when I saw the behaviors not the behaviors but just the not the behaviors as an aggression but just the ritualistic the obsessing obsessing behaviors I was like oh my god like you know almost like that here we go again and just having to remind myself like this is expected this is expected like this is part of it and then just being okay with with that um and it's hard because um you know you don't want to see your child suffer and um and for him too he's like I don't want to go back to the hospital and I'm feeling like when I went to the hospital and I'm like I understand because he was feeling that out of control feeling himself it's so I, I gotta imagine it's such a blessing though that he is able to verbalize to you like I'm not feeling well I'm not feeling right like I need help and to be willing to go there yeah. or whatever I mean I, I got to think that takes a little bit of a load off your mind that he, he's not being done to him. He's not being taken involuntarily. And that's a whole nother fight that you'd have to deal with when he comes back. So the hospitalizations were, so they were involuntary to him in the sense of, you know, the first time he didn't know what we, he, he thought he was like, oh yeah, sure. You know, we we're in the ER and he was loving the ER because the, we were, you know, in this, this floor with like kids just sort of hanging out and he was like a college dorm and he's like oh yeah more of this for a month sure I'll do it well when he got there it was not that way and he was begging me every day and crying why are you doing this to me and when he got home he was very angry with me and that was the piece where I got really clear and it was hard because I was I was in my own sort of you know I was my biggest fear was this child's going to hate me and guess what he did and I um, really just had to get clear on my decision-making. Like my job is to do the next right thing for you. You might not like it. It might not even be the next, it might not even be the best thing. It might not, but that's just my job. Like that's what I'm going to do. And just making myself really clear on that because you know, I had this father who was a hundred percent against this, not that he's really involved, but he was very vocal about that. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to hate me. And he's going to want to go live with his dad. You know, I, my, uh, maybe sort of my response was to go like, you know, to catastrophize it and then just, you know, it was really to catastrophize it. And so as the time went on, I just got really clear with like what, like firm in my purpose and firm in my decision-making. And so the second time the hospitalization was um, up, I was like, this is happening. I owned the decision hundred percent. Like, yeah, the doctors are recommending it. And this, and this hospital is not releasing you home. They've made that clear. You're going somewhere, <laughs> like, you know? And so I just got, and I feel like as I've gotten more firm, he's gotten less resistant in that because before it was like, mom, make this go away. And I did. I always did. I was always there to save the day in some sort of way, like just self-soothe. And now I'm, I've like really pulled back and it's been a process for me and for him that I'm not that person. I am here to support you in every way, but I, I can't do everything. Yeah. I feel like that's one sense, um, one of the senses of our children, or at least I, you know, I guess I can only speak for Skylar, but I, I strongly feel that he senses 
my anxiety. He senses when I'm upset. He senses when I'm very angry with him, even if it's not my tone of voice, you know, that's louder or whatever. Like he knows. I also know he feels disappointment and I try my best not to ever let on that feeling that I'm disappointed in a situation or whatever happened at school or whatever. Um, and I talk through everything with him, but I just, I, I try my best to regulate my emotions. But like you said, the second time when you're like, this is what we're doing. If you're very matter of fact, just with any child, doesn't even have to be a child on the spectrum or whatever. Um, you know, if you're a very stern with your decisions as a parent, then they fall in line. I mean, I think they sense fear. <laughs> so yeah. they know if you're on the fence, like they're going to exploit oh. that every step of the way. Oh, exactly. And I was, yeah. I was really the first time around, I was very, I was doing it, but I was, I was taking the action, but it wasn't fueled by confidence, my own confidence in myself. It was fueled like, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll do this, you know? And so as you shift that, they definitely sense it. You know, one of my friends, this is when Ben was not verbal. So he's known as a friend of the family. He's known Ben for a long time. He's, he said, he is a tuning fork for other people's emotions. And I have found that to be a hundred percent. Like he really does. Um, he can tap into like, you know, how I'm feeling and, um, and, you know, and sometimes he mirrors that, you know, he can see where I'm mirroring it. And my friend told me about this, um, this concept. I don't know if you've heard about it. I, I don't know if it comes from APA therapy. Um, it's the solid object relational model. So the idea is that someone who is out of control in some sort of way, who is melting down, is looking to attach to a solid object uh, being asked. And what they're doing is really trying to almost activate our fight flight, right? And it's like up to us to be able to like emotionally self-regulate in a way that we sort of like are able to drive the plane, right? Like, you know, if the if the pilot comes back and it's like, holy shit, things are a mess and the passengers are gonna be like, they're gonna be even more of a mess, right? And so it's like your ability to just really, and that, that work to me has been the most challenging. Um, but it's so critical to when you're dealing with someone, when you're dealing with, you know, someone who is um, acting out and is having their own sort of, um, you know, is dysregulated in their own way to be able to be that solid object. Yeah. And with Skylar, I've had to learn, like what you said, to um, when things are ramped up, I tend to respond like I would with anyone else, especially anyone who's verbal. And so if he acts out, my temperament gets higher and higher and you can tell I'm losing my patience and my voice is louder and whatever. And I've always been told too, like he will mirror you. So yeah. if you just calmly say, no, nope, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And just don't react and just, I mean, don't react by, you know, not letting him just run the house, but I mean, mm -hmm. just keep calm. He eventually will mirror that because you're calming him down without even really trying exactly. you're lowering the, the situation voluntarily. Totally voluntarily so um yeah it's like the difference between responding and reacting right yeah I mean we definitely have the ability it's like we, we have so much more power than we think and I think that there are so many times where we think like this is out of my control I don't know what I'm doing it's like we really do have so much and like it's just our ability to really um be able to tap into that for ourselves and really being able to like one, cope ahead of time, which is a skill that I've learned and that I teach, 
and to be able to replenish yourself. Man, I've learned so much from you <laughs> and already. And I, I need do. to keep working. <laughs> I need to keep working on myself. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're just, you're a powerful woman. I just, that's why I love doing this so much because every story is unique with every family, every situation. And, you know, here I would have assumed probably that somebody that's a, has a verbal teenager um, wouldn't struggle as much to know kind of what they're thinking and at least they can verbalize, but that brings about a whole another set of issues that I don't understand and I don't deal with because Skylar doesn't communicate that way. So, um, there's just so much to be learned from each other. Um, I, so it's so, it's so true. And I know I, I, I agree with that hundred percent. And I also think like, um, I think that there, I think that there is a, something that happens when you get into any community and the autism community is one of them where I, um, you know, I, I've listened to your book, like I said, and there were times when Ben was melting down and I would say, you don't have it that hard. Like, you know, and, and I would sort of almost like berate myself, like, you know, Laurie's dealing with a child who, you know, doesn't talk and, and, you know, has no pain that he can't express. Like I, these are, and it's like, don't use other people to beat yourself up. Like, Hard don't not to know, but I understand exactly it, what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, don't, don't do that. Like there's something we're all, you know, we're all in this, like not to all together, but we're all, we're all in our own, you know, unique situations and like, whatever you're feeling, it's okay. It's like, don't double down on your own pain by then saying, well, I should be grateful for this. Or, I mean, yes. Yeah. Not to say that there's not a place for gratitude and to recognizing what you do have, but don't diminish what you are yeah. experiencing because you're not doing yourself any favors. I think the same is true on the other side of the quote unquote spectrum too, is like, you know, I have found myself over the years seeing other families with children who are what I, they didn't have classifications when Skylar was diagnosed, but like level one that are high functioning, like they have an occasional issue, but they're driving, they're graduating from high school. They're, you know, they just have a few social anxieties and whatever. And they're not dealing with nonverbal banging, severe, whatever. And so I find myself envious of their lives. And I'm like, don't do that. I don't live in their house. I don't know what they go through. And, you know, maybe it's just as hard or harder in other ways that I can't understand. But, so, but you know what? Maybe it's not. And maybe it's okay to be jealous a little bit. Like, like yeah. that's a, like, that's the, like, like emotions aren't good or bad. They just are. And sometimes just letting yourself be there. Like I said to my best friend, I said, when, I mean, Ben was like the height of some of the stuff that was going on. And I was just being really careful to separate our children because I was afraid that something, you know, that, that I didn't want Ben to do something that he would regret, you know, hit another child. I just didn't yeah. want even that situation to happen. And I said, I am jealous of you that your kid is neurotypical. And I said, and I'm just telling you that because I feel like I need to cleanse it from my body. That's true. Like I understand. She's like, and she did. And I like, she was just like, you know, amazing about it. I was like, I'm like, I'm jealous. And I'm like, and like, just even being able to say that it's like, okay. Like it's, it's, you know, that's true. I mean, at least acknowledging it and then moving on from it rather than convincing yourself that you don't feel that way because you it's don't hard feel not that to. way or you're bad for feeling it. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Lisa, I'm so <laughs> glad we got to connect in this level. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciated you um, kind of highlighting me on your Instagram page during Autism Awareness Month. So um, I I'm was just glad thrilled I to do it. I was just, <laughs> that was cool. I was thrilled to do it. I thought it like, was like, um, that was like my pet project the first time then within the hospital. Like every time I felt myself sort of going down a bad road, I like redirected, like, let's research this mom today. And so it was <laughs> so much fun. Well, I love hearing more about your life and your story and that we are had connected, you know, so long ago. I'm glad we finally got a chance to sit down and do this. So I appreciate you so much. Just um, lasting words. Do, would you have any, um, you know, advice? I hate to use that word. I always say that, but just any, any words of wisdom to maybe the single moms out there that are really struggling um, and that, you know, that you could give them any piece of wisdom that maybe you learned all these years later <laughs> yeah I would just say I mean I think there's one thing I would say be really vigilant in the way that you talk to yourself um I found myself um going to a default when Ben was in the hospital of like this is your fault you're not enough you know that and that's available to us so much and especially you know society where, you know, you're expect, not expected, but, you know, the gold standard, right, is to be married and to be coupled and to be having, you know, doing this with another person. And, um, you know, so when you find yourself, you know, just be really vigilant in the way you talk to yourself and the way you think about your circumstance. I mean, being single, being unpartnered is a circumstance and you get to decide what you want to think about it. And most days I think, I'm fucking killing it, right? I'm a badass. Like <laughs> I would I've say got so. this, right? But you know what? When he was in the hospital, I, I like using however your child's doing on a, any given day as a reflection of your self worth and your worth as a parent. It's not the case, and so just being really figure out what your greatest hits are of like those terrible things that you say to yourself and start to work on those. And because um, those are the things that slowly erode our confidence over time and our resilience. And so I would say just be really vigilant about that. And being single does not mean being alone. And so I've curated a wonderful support group. Um, I moved to Connecticut three years ago and I couldn't be happier. I didn't move here without family, without friends. And we have a really great group of people that we've relied on heavily and that's available to you. And so, you know, advice. I like it. That's great. Yeah. I mean, even though a lot of groups um, for a lot of people are online still, I mean, I have found that the mothers that I have met, you know, in the last five years or so, just in online social media connections and stuff are always willing to talk and they yeah. ever judge you and they can relate to pretty much everything, whether that, you know, it's a hundred percent or just a little bit, but they just are so helpful. So I always say yeah. if people still are feeling like they're on an island and they're all alone, there's no reason that you have to be anymore because social media is, you know, a great place to find people that are like-minded. So no, agreed. I called a mom who I only knew from social media and her posting when Ben was um, being admitted to the hospital the first time I, well, I texted her and then she said, call me. And she talked me through some of, I mean, this is a person I, I, I highlighted her um, during Moms Like Us month um, later, but yeah, I mean, I was able to, um, it, it was amazing. Yeah, and it was it's fantastic to be able to do that. Um, you know, and this isn't just for single moms, but I think it's for 
all of us, but especially like baby moms who have just got the diagnosis or are close to getting the diagnosis, I would say always return to what you know. You know so much more than you think. Like if you got the diagnosis, it's because you saw something, it's because you pursued it. You probably fought for it. You probably were told it's not something. Like go return to like your own knowing because there's so much that you do know and that you um, underestimate. And everything that you're going through in this first couple of months or years, it's your training ground. It's all the frustration, all of the hits and misses. This is your training ground for what this experience is like. And I have returned to that so many times in this past year because it was so, it was, it was such a, everything that's going on, I've, I've almost brought myself back. You've been here before. You were doing, when Ben was first diagnosed, I was doing all these different things. I didn't know what would work. I was doing that again this year, right? And so just returning, like you've been here before, like you can, you, you, you can do this, right? And now so like that was, yeah. exactly, that was like really helpful to me. And then the other part of it is too, is like nowadays, and I don't think you and I have this, there's so much information out there you really need to pick a path, like constrain, because you can overwhelm yourself with all that there is. And so um, just being okay with like picking a couple of things at a time and pursuing them and then going on to the next, because there is this fear that we need to do everything and we need to do it right away or things will be terrible. It's not the case. <laughs> We've not done everything, you know, it's like you, you you have to figure out your own, what works for you, what works for your child, what works for your family and what works for you and your family, probably, you know, what works for somebody else might not work for you and being okay with that. Because, you know, I saw people doing, you know, maybe double ABA or doing ABA plus something else. And then just sort of working myself up into a tizzy of I'm not doing enough and he's going to be behind and all of that. So it's like all of that mind trash, you know, trying to like, you know, clear that out as you, you know, chart your own path. Excellent advice. Ignore the stupid timelines because that's not <laughs> accurate. <laughs> it's annoying. Oh, geez. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I will um, link up uh, if you send me that um, little poem or whatever, I'll link that up. But um, also oh, no. just reminder, you can um, reach out to Lisa on social media, on Facebook, um, Instagram, Autism Mom Coach is her name, and you can reach out to her directly for coaching services. And um, I think the first session is free, right? The intro session or whatever to work with you. So, yep, we do um, a consult, really just sort of an introduction to see where you are, where you want to be, and charting your path. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.